everyone. Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. This is your host, Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity of inviting to the show a very talented author and artist and uh, former pastor. You know him as the Naked Pastor, and his friends know him as David Hayward. So, David, I'd like to welcome you to the show today. Thank you, Chris. That's funny because... uh, uh, you might know him as Naked Pastor, but his friends know him as David Hayward because <laughs> David Hayward doesn't have very many enemies, but boy, Naked Pastor sure does. So that's <laughs> yeah, that's a. I, I figured I, I. That's what I appreciate about the pseudonyms. I feel like so many people who have who have blazed trails in this community have, have used pseudonyms, and now it's like. Yeah. A quick question: Have you ever asked someone without them knowing who you are of like, what do you think of of this work? And then yeah, they, what's what is that like? Um, I, I, um, I just got a really angry email from somebody just the other day saying, how dare you call yourself the naked pastor during this time of, you know, priests being exposed for sexual abuse of kids and all this kind of thing. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. (laughs) This is not what naked means in this sense. Naked is a metaphor for vulnerability and honest and open and raw and real and et cetera. So they, oh, oh, okay. So, you know, um, most people get it because, you know, we remember, some of us remember the naked chef or the naked archaeologist or mm-hmm. the truth or, you know, whatever. And um, so I think there was even naked news at some point. So it's yeah. just, just a metaphor for um, me being real and open and honest. And the thing, the thing is, I started that when I was a pastor of local church. And I just wanted people to see behind the curtain and see what the real life of a pastor was like with all its ups and downs and ins and outs and joys and sadness and all this kind of stuff and frustrations, struggles. And uh, mm-hmm. and then when I left the ministry in 2010, I decided to keep the name because Naked Pastor was already pretty well known by then. And um, some people said, yeah, you're still kind of like a pastor, but it's online. And uh, so anyway, that's the story behind the name. Yeah. yeah, and that and that's what's amazing about your work is is even and we were talking about this before we started, but uh-huh. even before I started deconstructing and being more reformed, I knew who you were, and and people within the mainline evangelical church know who you are, uh-huh. in the sense that there are a lot of people in our circles that that are kind of not confined, but they minister to this circle. But yeah. for you, it it seems like your work has kind of expanded outside of the um exvangelical deconstruction reconstruction bubble and it, it's it's amazing to watch and see how it it serves and speaks to people that are in so many different places absolutely yeah i think that's one of the reasons why i encourage people who are creative or writing or drawing or painting or music or poets or whatever you need to be real you need to be authentic and and express yourself where you are and if people, you know, I started blogging 2005, that's, uh, you know, 15 years ago. And mm-hmm. um, if you started reading me back then, you would see a may, you'd see huge shift, huge progression, uh, although some might say regression, but uh, <laughs> you would see huge changes in my theology, my worldview, you know, my philosophy, my, my style, you know, all kinds of moves. And, and but that's I think what makes it compelling to so many people and reach out to so many people is because it 
I've been, I've been all over the place, man. And mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of people identify at some point with some of my work. So it it, it is kind of cool. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the, the evolving faith is, is when people get to know you and, and trust your work and, and also see the mirror that is the work that you do. Uh-huh. Once you say something that they kind of disagree with, it's like, okay, but I trust this authority. So it creates this almost safe place to question. And within, within that kind of framework, there aren't very many of those places. So when you talk about um, spiritual abuse, or you talk about uh, being an ally, or you talk about inerrancy, or you talk about all of these big topics, and you uh, break them down so well into the art that you do, it kind of creates this safe place for even a, a reformed kid like me to be like, well, if I just heard this in a church somewhere, I'd be like, that guy's a heretic and he's a false prophet. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm watching this guy draw this and this makes perfect sense to me. Interesting. Because the other just the other day I did a, a cartoon which um, fools around with reformed theology, a Calvinism. Um, it's the guy walking down the hall and there's a, a, a hand sanitizer dispenser on the wall. Yeah. And uh, it says kill germs. And it's called Calvin Cleanser, and and when he puts it on his hand, he he disappears. Hundred <laughs> percent effective, apparently. Effective, you know, because <laughs> Calvinism. I I know I'm generalizing, and people are going to say, "Well, you don't really." So I, I I in that post, I wanted people to know that I I understand Calvinism mm-hmm. and Reformed theology. So in my post, I was like, "Listen, before anybody says." Oh no, you don't have a real appreciation of if you really understood Calvin, you would understand that this cartoon is false and is lying and so on. So I, I told people, listen, in, in seminary, I won I won the reform prize for theology. <laughs> I I was in uh, Karl Barth's my favorite theologian and still is. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied reform theology uh, up and down, inside out. And I was ordained in the Presbyterian Church and hmm. so on and so forth. And and one woman came on and she says, I've been following you for years and I've shared all your work, but you've just lost the followers. I'm blocking you. Oh, uh, no. What? And she says, and she contacted me. She's like, I can't believe you're supporting Calvinism and blah, 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 and all this. I'm like, wait a minute. You don't understand. Why do you think I was telling, giving people my credentials? And she's like, oh, I get it now. Okay. <laughs> So it's, you know, we can be reactionary. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, for sure. It, that, yeah. that, it, that kind of encapsulates how people are. And that's yeah. the beauty of art, right? Is you can yeah. see it however you want to see it. And and with that being said, yeah. what, what is your faith, the, the evolution of your faith from that reformed education and, and that reformed background to, to where you are now? And what are some of the things that you've rethought along the way? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know, really easy, simple. Yeah, in a sentence, can you no? Know, yeah, hundred and eighty characters. I actually, you know, I, I I call myself my own ecumenical movement because I I was baptized Anglican, Episcopal to Americans, but Anglican when I was a child. I grew up through in different kinds of churches, United and Methodist, and this and that and the other. Um, I, I became a real born again Christian when I was about, uh, 15 or 16 in a Baptist church. We moved from there to a Pentecostal church. And then from the Pentecostal church, I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. That's where I met my wife, Lisa. 
Hmm. And from there, I went to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, which is an evangelical seminary in the Boston area. And then um, from there, I went Presbyterian. Hmm. And I was ordained Presbyterian, you know, uh, I uh, got my necessary degrees in, in Reformed theology and ministry and all that kind of stuff. And then I was in the Presbyterian church for all those, for like a 12 years or something, pastor churches, planted Presbyterian church. And then I went to Vineyard, which is like kind of a mixture of evangelical and charismatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so I've been around. So yeah. Uh, it's interesting. People say, "Whoa, how did you go from Pentecostal to Presbyterian?" Like, you know. And then people are like, "Whoa, how did you go from Presbyterian to Vineyard?" You know. Yeah. Um, in all these things, I felt like I was progressing. I always looked for churches that I felt I could grow as far as I could in, and I always felt um, I, I, you know, I, I always felt free that the the planter I was in was big enough for all my roots. And um, <clears throat> it was only when I felt confined, I felt I had to move on. Hmm. And, you know, so I, you know, I studied, you know, Karl Barth and John Calvin and, you know, um, Bultmann and, you know, all these guys. And then uh, I got into process theology and then, you know, I got into some philosophy and, and then, you know, these things were all kind of, you know, and then William Stringfellow, who was an, was an American theologian. And, uh, you know, all these things I felt were kind of incremental kind of uh, installments in my thinking. And mm-hmm. I never once did I feel like I was correcting myself. Hmm. I always felt like I was um, progressing and moving forward or, or growing and understanding more. Hmm. And, and so, you know... I at no point in my life do I look back and say, whoa, that was a huge mistake. And I, I needed to correct myself and go over here. And, you know, <clears throat> which we see a lot of now where people jump from one frying pan into another. And rather, I felt like I was on a journey and I, yeah. I found what I needed at the time. And that's what's so interesting. I was talking to to Jason Elam the other day. I don't know if, if you know him. Um, but he has a he has a podcast called the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Oh yeah, and and we were talking about tell him to interview. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I'll I will uh, as soon as we're done. I'll I'll All have right. him reach out to you. All right. Uh, but he him and I were talking about something that Brad Jersak said in regards to inclusion, and I think that was one of the first times in my life where I felt like I needed to go somewhere and visibly recant because it was I, I was like I've wasted my ministry. Like, and, and I'm not a pastor, but like I've wasted my ministry. I've wasted my gospel partnership. I've wasted my whatever. Like, and so it's interesting to hear you say that you've never felt like you made some kind of misstep because for so many of us, including myself, and I don't want to speak for Jason, but people that I've talked to, we, we often feel like, oh my gosh, we've squandered all of this. Like, what have we been doing? Why have we been in this patriarchal racist sexist homophobic church and and now it's like but so it's very comforting to hear you say that that it's all kind of a journey well i'm i'm very intentional about that this is like i help people deconstruct in healthy ways and one of Mm -hmm. the major um issues that i try to help people with is a lot of people feel like oh my 
God, like, I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I did that. I'm so ashamed. Hmm. I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe I believe that nonsense. And, you know, and they just beat themselves up. And I'm like, <clears throat> you know, Paul, um, when he talks, of, you know, he kind of boasts about his credentials. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he says he counts them all as dung now. It's all as, you know, it's bullshit now. Yeah. And uh, you can do, you can edit that out. Yeah, I can edit that out if you want me to. If you want to. Um, and he, he counts it all as dung, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I use this analogy that in, in our, in our past, um, you know, there's good and bad and, and it's like compost and compost is half uh, earth and half dung. And, and you fold that in together and you get a really nutritious soil out of which we grow. Hmm. That's the way I look at my past is there's good and bad. You know, there's the crazy stuff I believed and did. That, that's like the dung that kind of gets folded in with, you know, I don't think Paul was bragging about his credentials. I think he was trying to, um, trying to figure out a way to integrate his past into his story as an essential part of his growth journey. Hmm. And even like, if you think of like depth psychologists such as Carl Jung or whatever, he, he would insist on the same thing. You have to embrace your whole story somehow and figure out a way to integrate it, including your dark shadow side. Uh, you need to figure out a way instead of rejecting it, which is unhealthy and will create problems down the road. You need to figure out a way to integrate it into your life. And so this is how I do it. It's like, it's like one part earth and one part dung and you fold it in together. And that gives you the nutritious soil out of which your life grows. So uh, I I try to help people with that because as long as we feel shame and guilt and resentment and regret and all that, I don't think we can fully grow into our, our future. There's no point in ripping out that chapter from your life because it's going to damage your story and it won't be understood. Hmm. Yeah. And, and that makes perfect sense. And, and for so many of us that grew up in an environment where we talked about original sin and total depravity, where oh, yeah. we were just kind of these basically walking dumpster fires and people would co- quote Paul saying that he was the prince of sinners. And it, that that brings so much more life to that outlook, specifically about Paul, in the sense that he's just kind of owning where he's been and where he's going and acknowledging that everything that he's done has made him into the person that he is today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's just... And, and you know, Paul is speaking from... <clears throat> his own conditioning and, you know, his own mindset, his own theological perspective and everything mm. like that. Um, we might use, you know, different, different language these days if we were open-minded enough or free enough to do that hmm. instead of calling people sinners, saying yeah. that hey, we all struggle, you know, life's not easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And, and and with all that being said, where does art come in for you? 
like within all of all of these things that that have happened throughout your life and and the ecumenical diversity you've you've explored and and partaken in and the the places you've been and the places you are and the places you want to go where does art come into this picture well i've i've <clears throat> i've been i've painted and drawn my whole life as far back as i can remember mm. and um i i never heart was kind of like a hobby for me uh and you know then there was a time i was you know people liked my paintings and i would sell paintings and things like that and i I tried for one year when I was out of the ministry to make it as an artist. And I, you know, really, really struggled. It was really hard. Uh, and then it was around 2005 or six when I had just started blogging. I thought, Hmm, maybe I'll try cartooning. I was inspired by a certain cartoonist. I mm. thought it's cartooning. And I, I thought I can draw. Why don't I try cartooning and see what happens? And I, I gave myself uh, a month. I was going to, I challenged myself to draw a cartoon every day. I thought I would last a month and here I am going 15 years later and I'm still drawing. <laughs> and, uh, and it was then when my art became meaningful in a more than just a hobby kind of way mm-hmm. uh, where I was actually um, expressing myself, you know, so in my cartoons and then um, in my images of Christ and uh, some of my paintings that would have sort of spiritual undertones to them. And mm-hmm. then, and then my my cartoons, my my um, Sophia series, mm-hmm. uh, you know these these all became um, what Naked Pastor is now known for is mm-hmm. uh, communicating some something through these images, yeah. And and the Sophia images, at least from from what I understand, were were very personal to you yeah. and and your journey and and where you've been as as a yeah. follower of Jesus. Like I, so, you know, I'd been cartooning and drawing images of Christ and painting and things like that. And one Sunday afternoon, this was after I'd left the ministry. Uh, and uh, it was like a couple of years after I'd left the ministry. And it was such a difficult time for me, a very, very traumatic transition time for me. Hmm. I left the ministry and um, needing to figure out what I was going to do with my life and et cetera. It was just a perfect storm and my life was a mess. And um, one Sunday afternoon, I was sitting down and I had a pencil and pen and I just drew this picture. And it was like, after I was done, it was like, Lisa, my wife was like, what's that? Like, that's like nothing you've ever done before. And it Hmm. was Sophia drawing of her standing, holding her teddy bear up to a big, you know, grizzly bear towering over her and Hmm. uh, (laughs) called Fearless. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started drawing these images of a young woman or a girl um, in the wilderness with animals or usually at night, usually a full moon. And um, it wasn't until many and I was drawing like one a week or something and um, or every two weeks. And it wasn't until like I was halfway through and I was drawing a certain one, uh, which is now called Cave where she's standing before the mouth of a cave that's covered in vines and rocks and everything. And it's, the cave is just one dark black hole. And I was kind of crying and I was like, mm. what is going on here? And uh, um, I realized I was drawing my story. 
and uh, that Sophia standing before the cave, should she go in, you know, into the deep, dark cave of her inner being and of self-discovery and so on, because that's what the cave symbolizes. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized I was drawing my story. And uh, so this story developed of this young woman who was in captivity um, under religious oppression and everything. And she makes her escape and figures out how to live free in the world. And I, I, I ended up drawing 59 drawings and writing a meditation for each one. And now it's all compiled into a book, The Liberation of Sophia. And it's all about my story, but it's so many people identify with it, especially women who are, you know, feel trapped and want to live free. And so, you know, this liberation of Sophia is my story, but it's the story of so many other people. And that's the power of art. Mm, when, yeah. when you, you know, express yourself honestly and authentically and you're real and honest and raw, uh, people are going to, some people are going to really uh, be impacted by it. Yeah. No, it, like you said, that is, that is the beauty of art is anyone can look at it and, and not necessarily take away what they want to see, but in most instances, particularly when it pertains to your work, they can take away what they need in the sense of this is something that brings me spiritual healing. This is something that helps me understand myself better. Like even for, for myself as a fan of your work, the, the Jesus pictures that that you did of, of the different ways that we can understand Jesus in the different cultures. Um, right. That, that spoke to me on an incredibly deep level, which I would consider myself a, a decently progressive person, but there were some images there that made me incredibly uncomfortable, like very, like, yeah. very like, Oh, I don't know if I like that, but at the same time, like it's truth. And, and so I, I don't know, yeah. like that, that's what I appreciate about, about the liberation of Sophia and, and all of your work is that you've done this amazing job of, of bringing people into your story. And right. that's, that's a, that's a gift. And that's a, that's a rare trait that people have. So where, where in your deconstruction journey did the, the liberation of Sophia start? Um, so, so first of all, though, uh, um, the, the thing about art, and, and, and what I do, what's so fascinating by, you know, the saying, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? Mm -hmm. And I get that from a lot of people who are like, wow, in one cartoon, you've expressed more than I can write a whole chapter or something like that, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and the cool thing about what I do <laughs> is whether you agree with what I draw or not, it's too late. You've already seen it, hmm. right? Yeah. Like if you start reading an article and you don't agree with it, you can just close the book or, you know, close the tab or <clears throat> whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you see a cartoon of mine that is uh, affirming for gay people and you, you don't agree with that, it's too late. You've already seen Jesus holding the hand of a gay man. It's too mm -hmm. late. Yeah. And it's something you can't unsee. So it's, that's the power of art. It's just like bypasses our rational mind. Uh, it first hits our emotions and then we have to deal with it, which I think is so cool. Hmm. No, um, I, I love that. I, I never thought about it that way. I, I absolutely love that about art now. Yeah. 
So the thing about Sophia is there's two, in my opinion, there, I think there's two deconstructions. One is the deconstruction theologically, spiritually, and the other deconstruction is uh, church. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my experience and observation, people can deconstruct from church without deconstructing theologically. Mm. But if you deconstruct theologically, usually it affects you to deconstruct with the church as well. Yeah. So I, we know, we know people who've left the church because the church has lost its way. It's not obedient to Christ. It's not radical enough. It's gone institutional, you know, on all this, but they're still conservative theologically. They don't deconstruct theologically. Right. Mm-hmm. We know Am I right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and then, but if if somebody's deconstructing theologically, spiritually, often, almost always, it's going to affect and change their relationship with the church. Um, mm. So I had deconstructed theologically. Um, and, and that's what actually led to me leaving the ministry in 2010. Mm. Now I had to deconstruct from church. And yeah. that was brutal. Like my deconstructed theologically took many years. It was kind of like a glacial melt, just took so long. Um, and then all of a sudden at the end, the iceberg crumbled, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my deconstruction from the church, I left the ministry in, two, in March, actually, uh, of 2010. It's been a decade, hard to believe. Uh, it's been a decade when I left the ministry and left the church. Mm-hmm. And um, that transition was really, really, really hard because uh, it was sudden and um, just uh, very upsetting. And so I had to figure out a way um, to live my life. I had to figure out how to live hmm. scratch uh, in so many ways. And, uh, and I was free, but I had to... It's kind of like a, an ex-con when they leave prison. Many of us know uh, or heard stories or whatever, or watched a movie or whatever, where it's really, really difficult for an ex-con but to reintegrate into society. Almost impossible sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they need halfway houses and things like that to help them pro- you know, integrate, learn how to integrate back into society. And that's how I felt. I, 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 was re- I had a super difficult time. And, and so that's what the uh, liberation of Sophia emerged out of was my learning how to be free and not live as a slave anymore. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing to see how those two things correlate. And like you said, in regards to the convict of once you get out, it's really hard to go back in. Of very recently, my wife and I moved on from a church that we were at, and we were looking around and, and we found one we thought was going to be the place that we landed. And uh-huh. I started looking at their, their mission statement and the things that they were talking about. They had a very vibrant, very healthy uh, reconciliation ministry, which is something I'm very passionate about. Uh, and I have been very passionate about for a very long time, but right. I started reading their statement of faith and I'm checking it off. Like, this is fine. Like I can exist here. I can exist here. I can exist here. And then you get to the atonement. And uh-huh. I'm like, I can't exist here like this. And it, it's interesting because there are so many people in the circles that we run in where they come across that, where it's like, oh yeah, this could be a good place. And then 
whether it's spoken or unspoken, it, it's very clear that it's, if you don't agree with these things, we don't want you here. And that, yeah. that is kind of what the statement of faith is, is it's a, yeah. if you agree, welcome, if not get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with that being said, the, the art in the liberation of Sophia, how, how does that impact you today? Like it, are, is the journey of Sophia still ongoing? Well, that, uh, the interesting thing about that was um, um, it took me a couple of years to uh, do all the drawings. Like I said, I was drawing about a week, uh, one a week or two. Mm-hmm. And um, when I finished the 59th one, there's 62 now. There's 62 drawings now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I finished them, it was like the 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 passion to do them was gone. It was like, uh, by the end of the book, the liberation of Sophia, she walks into the light and Mm. it really symbolized like I'm free. I'm done. This journey's done. And so, uh, how I'm still in love with Sophia, Sophia (laughs) kind of plays two roles. So Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom in from the Greek, Septuagint, the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. Septuagint. Um, Sophia is stands for wisdom, but Sophia also represented, as Carl Jung would call, my anima, my female aspect, and the female side of my personality, hmm. my what I call my spirit, my inner self, my soul, and it was my it was so the Sophia's journey is actually my journey, um, mm-hmm. and. T- and, and so uh, it's kind of a testimony of my escape, my liberation. And, and how I relate with it now is uh, just sharing it with people and um, people identifying with her and just, you know, uh, finding their own liberation through her story. Um, mm. In fact, can I, can I talk about the, the meditations that I've launched today? Absolutely. I was actually just about to ask you about that, but yes, please, please share with us. um, For those, uh, you're going to be playing this later for your audience, but um, uh, here in Canada, we've, uh, the province I'm in um, just pronounced the other day, uh, a um, emergency uh, shutdown of the province, like everything's shut down and we're Mm -hmm. staying in solitary confinement kind of thing. And so I thought, what could I do for people while they're shut up, you know, locked up in their homes? And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the Liberation of Sophia book and I'm going to video myself reading each chapter and I'll show the people the picture. And then I'm going to, the second part, uh, I'm going to comment on each meditation. And so there's 59 of them. And so I'm going to release one every day. It's on davidhaywardcourses.com. Okay. davidhaywardcourses.com and it's the liberation of Sophia <clears throat> and right now it's free so uh, I'm, I'm giving it away for free where I'm, I'm going to read through the chapter it's kind of poetic prose you're going to mm-hmm. see the picture and then I'm going to uh, do another video uh, commenting on it and what inspired that drawing and what inspired the meditation and some of my story and personalize it you know so that's, that's available for free right now. And, um, you know, I just announced it this morning. There's something like 50 people already signed up. So um, 
yeah, take advantage of it. It's uh, while it's free, and mm-hmm. uh, I, hope, I hope people enjoy it and get a lot out of it, and also um, entertain the thought that they can be free. Because there's there's something I learned about freedom. Um, if I can take a minute to share that, totally, please. Uh, several many years ago, I've left the ministry a couple of times in my life. So uh, the last time I left the ministry was in 2010. But in 1995, I left the ministry. I was in the Presbyterian Church. I felt trapped. I felt completely hopeless. I didn't know what to do. I was married with three young kids. We were living in the manse, you know, the parsonage. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I had a salary. Um, I planted a Presbyterian church, but it was it was already dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like I and I hated my job. I hated it. I I just wanted to die, and I just felt so dark and hope. And I went to bed wondering what am I going to do because, like many pastors, feel like what else can I do? I've only been trained in ministry. Uh, I, I, I'm not trained in anything else. I, I don't know what to do. I have to support my family. So many pastors who feel trapped uh, stay in the ministry because they, they don't feel they have any options. Yeah. And so there I was, and I went to bed, couldn't go to sleep, just lying there in the darkness, worried about my wife and my kids and what am I going to do? I was so depressed and hopeless, and I fell asleep. And then I had a dream that night. And all the, in the dream, all it was was God saying, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I woke up laughing my guts out. I was laughing hysterically. I woke Lisa up from my laughing. And she's like, what? And she starts laughing. The kids come running in and jump on the bed. And they're laughing. And we're laughing. And I'm like, honey, we're not trapped. We're not mm-hmm. trapped. We can do whatever we want. And uh, nobody's got a gun to our head. We can just quit. And just hmm. go. And she's like, you're right. Let's do it. And so I quit. And we sold <laughs> our stuff. And we loaded the stuff in the minivan. And we had a trailer at the time. And we just drove away. And that was, uh, I, I, I went to bed hopelessly trapped. And I woke up a free man. Nothing had changed except my mind. Hmm. And so my, I thought I was trapped when actually what I was was afraid of acting free. Hmm. I afraid of the consequences of acting free yeah so that i learned a huge lesson that day about freedom is that i am free if i'm feeling trapped it's because i'm afraid of acting free Hmm. Um, i'm afraid of the consequences i'm afraid of the ramifications of my freedom Um, Mm -hmm. i'm afraid of people's reactions you know uh, i'm afraid of where the money's going to come from i'm afraid of where I'm going to live. I'm afraid of, you know, how I'm going to provide, you know, all these things, but I was free. I was free when I went to bed, but I was sad because I thought I was trapped. I mm. woke up in the morning. I realizing I was free. I felt free and was the happiest man on earth. And my whole family was the happiest family on earth. And mm. that was just amazing. Huge, yeah. lesson. huge lesson. Oh yeah. And, and freedom's difficult. I mean, we, we live in a, I live in a country that that idolizes freedom in so many ways, but from yeah. a from a spiritual standpoint, it's difficult. When you look at the Israelites after they leave Egypt, there's nothing but com- they wanted so desperately this freedom, and then they get it, and they just oh man, it was so much better in Egypt. We had houses, we had food. Yeah, we worked hard, and we were slaves, but at least we knew where our whatever was coming from. And even in the New Testament, it's we're 
we're freed from sin and death. But then Paul has to come in and be like, huh, all right, guys, like, let me, let, let, let's bring it back. Like, this is not easy. This is not something to be complacent in. Like, this is a hard thing, but it's so worth it. And I, and I love the fact that in your, in your life, you've found that it, that it is something that is worth it. Well, Paul says, like, you've been bought with a price, you're free, don't become slaves of men again, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> because that's what it comes down to. You're, we're enslaved to other people mm. and their expectations. It's like one of my cartoons, uh, there's a guy building a cage and people are lined up handing him the bars to it. And he's like, the, the uh, expectations of others are the bars I use for my own cage. Mm. And um, that was really true in my own life. And you know, and the leeks and onions, man, there, <clears throat> you know, there were times after I left the ministry where I thought, you know, life could be easier if I just went back, hmm. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I resisted that though. And, and that, that's, hmm. that's great. I mean, the, 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 the risk that it takes and there are so many people that, that I'm assuming we both know that are still in ministry positions where that the only reason they do it is because that's where they know that they can be provided for. But on the inside, they're just completely dead. Yeah. It's like, you know, building bricks with, without straw. I mean, it's just a hopeless endeavor. They're sad. There's there. Um, I, I know because I was there and I totally empathize with these men and women who are feel stuck in ministry and feel trapped. In fact, I, I created a course called leaving the ministry. Hmm to help people who are in the ministry to, you know, figure out a way. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it freedom isn't easy. Like it's, it is hard work. It, it, it mm -hmm. is a journey. It is, um, you know, there's a lot to conquer and, um, you know, there's a lot of temptations to go back when things were provided for, excuse me, rather than us providing for ourselves. Spiritual independence is what I call it. It's, mm -hmm scary it's uh risky um and and it takes work mm. yeah and, and it eventually leads us into a promised land mm -hmm. is is the beautiful thing of it and so i guess i know we're running short on time but but if you if you have the time i'd love to ask you just a few more questions yeah, absolutely uh, I, I guess the first one's a twofold question for for what we've talked about in regards to freedom for uh -huh. people that find themselves for 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 myself even I've been studying theology for years, even before I was in college with, I'm going to be a pastor. And now I'm like, I don't really know if I want to do that. Right. Um, and, and there, there are people that have done that and are now pastors and yeah. they feel stuck. So I guess the twofold question would be, what huh. would you have to say directly to those people? And what, what do you think is that promised land? Like what, like, where do you think the quote unquote pastorate in regards to to leaving the ministry and freedom from the institution that is the church, where do you think that's leading? So a lot of people assume, um, you know, and I, I have to keep uh, correcting people or, you know, maybe emphasizing a little more on the other side that I'm not against the church. Uh, I'm, I'm not an enemy of the church. I'm not an enemy of religion you know, even organized religion and all that. I'm not an enemy of church having buildings and paid pastors and stuff. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't have a problem. That's not the problem. Uh, my issue is how can we gather together, which we should have the right to do. People should have the right to gather together mm -hmm. uh, 
how can we do that in a healthy manner? And that is something I think we need good leaders for. We need good pastors who struggle with that um, experiment of how can we be an authentic, healthy, vibrant community? How can we do that? Um, and if, if there are people studying for the ministry or are in the ministry and who are hearing this, if you can wrestle with that question, how can I be free without violating the freedom of somebody else in our community? That, if you can wrestle with that question, and if you can wrestle with the, the concept of not controlling people or managing people or rescuing people or, or you know, uh, directing people, if you can... If you can just be with people and, and, and let people learn how to grow on their own, if you um, ascribe to them and, and encourage them in their independence and so on, like we need pastors like that. And there are some pastors out there like that. And mm. they're amazing. I know some of them. They're, they're amazing people and they have amazing communities. They're not huge mega churches. You know, they're not um, the cream of the crop of churches or, you know, they're not on radar anywhere. They're just this quiet, unassuming, authentic, you know, um, unadorned small communities around the world Hmm. uh, who have pastors who care and aren't controlling and, um, who encourage people in their independence and help them grow, let them question. Um, so that's, that's what the promised land is, is where you're free. You're finally free from slavery. You're free from the control of other people. You're free to, you know, stake your claim and, and, and grow where you're, where you're planted and, and uh, be who you are and be free in your identity and so on. That's what the promised land is hmm. uh, for churches. And, you know, I, I wrestled with that experiment in the last church I pastored. Um, I have an online community now called The Lasting Supper where we're doing the same thing. And um, it works. If people, I really do believe, if people are given space and permission, that they will figure out how to become healthy, how to grow, how, mm. to, how to be independent and healthy. So, mm. so there's, there's dependency. As kids, we're all dependent. Uh, then there's, there's codependency. That's unhealthy, toxic relationships. I encourage people to be independent, learn how to be independent, autonomous, self-governing, self-determining, be the captain of your own ship, be the master of your own destiny. And then you can choose to be interdependent in healthy ways, Hmm. right? So that's what I encourage in in people, in churches and ministry and for pastors. Hmm. And, and we see that revealed in nature, right? Of of there are so many different animals and and plants and and whatever that can they can only grow in the space that you give them, and then that's, once they hit that space, they can't go anymore. And that's right. When I I I've grown gardens before. I don't go out every day and pull on the leaves to make them grow faster, or you know, kick the roots to you know get them to eject more juice and stuff like that so they grow faster. <laughs> What you just give them space. You clear yeah. away garbage. You 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 give it the space it needs, and you know throw on some nutrients here and there. But you, there's no force. It doesn't work. It that would kill the the plant, right? Mm-hmm. So um, 
Yeah. Good point. It's, uh, so for anyone that's listening right now that, that is an artist in, in any medium, mm-hmm. what would your advice be for them within this this sphere in which we live, this this ever-evolving faith in which we're journeying, mm-hmm. and also just within practicality of, of what does art like what 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 advice would you give what life would you wish to speak into somebody who looks to you and says i want to express myself in a way that impacts people like the naked pastor has right well i i do i do coach some people who want to do that and i'll i'll tell you the number one uh hurdle is is fear hmm. they're afraid I mean, maybe maybe they see the crap I get online. Maybe they see the hate mail and the messages and the conflict and, you know, all the stuff. Maybe they see that and they don't want that in their life. But uh, I see it in other people, too, who want to be creative. There's fear. You you If you want to create, you got to be fearless. Hmm. Uh, you have to be fearless. And um, or maybe a better way to say it is you you. You just need to be brave. You have to have courage. Courage and fear actually live together. Hmm. You need courage to overcome your fear or to act in spite of your fear. <coughs> courage yeah. is fear getting back in the saddle, as Karl Barth said, I think. Or maybe that was John Wayne. I can't remember. <laughs> but, Probably uh, both. <laughs> courage is fear getting back in the saddle. And and uh, that's the first number one thing I'm, I'm dealing with a couple of clients right now who are like, they're just afraid they're talented, but they're just afraid to put their stuff out there. And mm. if you're afraid to put your stuff out there, you're going to be afraid to put it down on paper or, you know, whatever too. So mm. you just have to decide you have to make a choice. Am I going to express myself and come what may take what is thrown at me? Or am I going to hide uh, mm. right under a bushel? No. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you know, please you know, don't hide it hide it under a bushel or let it shine and um if you hide it under a bushel you're going to be frustrated and sad and nobody will appreciate your work and nobody will be changed by what you do if you put it on shine it on a hill you're going to be a target but you'll also be a light hmm. and you have to make that choice yeah. And, and that, that kind of seems like the double entendre for, for lack of a better term that Jesus is implying there of within a, a shining city on a hill, everyone at that time wanted a city on a hill because it was easily defendable. It had wall, like it had the supplies it needed. Right. But it was also a blessing to everyone around them, even though it was a target and people wanted right. to conquer it. Right. Exactly. So I guess last question for you, David is sure. uh, another twofold question. What are you working on right now and where can people find you? All right. Well, first you can find me in nakedpastor.com and out from there, everything I do is that's the hub nakedpastor.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm across all social media, just search naked pastor. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. <clears throat> I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, you know, you name it. I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> What I'm working on now is, uh, well, I'm going to be reading um, Sophia Meditation every day for the next two months Mm -hmm. uh, because there's like 59 chapters. Um, But I'm also working on assembling a book on marriage and deconstruction because uh, 
Lisa and I, when after we left the church, uh, we went through a couple of years really, really hard spell in our marriage. Hmm. I see that happen a lot with couples who deconstruct. Maybe one's deconstructing, or maybe both are deconstructing, um, and it just throws a real wrench into so many marriages, and a lot of marriages blow up. And I'd like to prevent that if I could, or you know, help people who are married and go through deconstruction to survive and their marriage to survive if it can. And yeah. so I've, I've written something like 40 um, reflections and I've got a bunch of cartoons. So I just need to assemble it into a book. I'd like to make a course to go along with it um, just to help married couples survive the very dramatic transition um, away from uh, evangelicalism and the church. Hmm. And, and that is such a, a, a highly needed resource. And I think so. And you, you honestly have your first customer in, in so many ways of that will, that I know for a fact that that will bless me and my wife a lot. Okay. And so in closing, what I really usually try to do is uh-huh. I, I believe that one of the things that's really lacking in, in just the environment in which we live is, is encouragement. Um, I believe that that is a spiritual practice and I believe that that is a, something that, that we should be doing for one another. And so I just want to really encourage you in, and I know like coming like, Oh, like what? Okay. But, uh, just the work that you've done has been so helpful for me in, in so many different stages of my life. And, and it was interesting that you bring up freedom because in one of the more concealed moments where I wasn't really being honest with the people around me about the things I was going through. Um, I saw the drawing, the the cartoon that you had made of everyone walking around drawing lines and Jesus erasing all of them. And just something in me just snapped and was like, I'm not like, I'm not here to be bound up by people anymore. And I, and it was, that was, that is something that I really struggle with in a lot of ways is, is fear of people. And your work has always pushed me outside of that. If this person can be so bold to, to profess and proclaim what he believes and he's inspiring all these people, then I'm going to fall in line behind this guy and do what I can. And so, so thank you for what you do. And, and thank you on behalf of me, on behalf of my friends, um, and on behalf of everyone that, that is impacted by your work. Oh, thanks so much. That means a lot really does. Very encouraging. Absolutely. Well, thank you, David. And we're in the middle of coronavirus. So, so stay healthy, stay inside. You guys too. Yeah. Yeah. God bless. You too, man. Thanks. Thank you. See ya.